Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. Finally on Our Changing World tonight, climate change in the Pacific. Political leaders and climate scientists gathered in Wellington this week for a conference to discuss climate change impacts on Pacific Island nations. The president of Kiribati, Anoti Tong, was one of the speakers, and Veronica asks him what he thinks of the Paris Agreement to keep global temperature rise under two degrees. For the first time, there is a global acknowledgement of the, uh, the terrible impacts of climate change. I think that's really, if anything, the, the biggest. But when we were in, Co- in, in Co- Copenhagen, we were still arguing. And I hope we're not arguing, but I believe, uh, let's not read too much into what happened. There was an, an agreement reached, but it's not been signed yet. But the question that I'm asking is, who will sign it? Because there were countries who felt a bit bullied into the agreement. Because the, um, and I suspect that the, the chairmanship of the COP21 had a great deal with uh, getting that agreement reached. Um, was it entirely consensus? I don't think so. Okay, But... Uh, it is the beginning, and this is why you need leadership on an issue which, which is really difficult to find consensus on. You just got to push a few people into position because it is necessary, even if they don't think it is. For, for nations like Kiribati, I'd imagine 1.5 degrees is too late. It is too late. I mean, the science is absolutely clear. It's too late. So this is why throughout all of the negotiations, I, I asked, told my people, no, that's, that's not enough. What we need is a special package, and that package is in. It's a very special package to do with the small uh, island, the most vulnerable small island states. And that package is about financing, it's about adaptation. Because even with 1.5, the seas will continue to rise, the, the weather, uh, the patterns will change. So we will experience severe, more severe storms, more frequent. The sea level will rise, making it worse. So we've got to stay out of the water, and the only way to do that is to build the islands or live on floating islands, or get out. Simple. Could I ask you on those two adaptation options, building the islands up or migrating? You've been saying for a while that you know if migration is necessary, it's a backstop. It's the last resort, and it will happen with dignity. Yes. Could you elaborate on that for me? You, you are buying land, Fiji, mm-hmm. elsewhere. Okay. We, we, we like to look at New Zealand now. That's why I went to... Uh, Hawks Bay, but <laughs> you're selling to the Chinese, so why not? <laughs> but, um, you know, the, what I've always said is um, rejected is the notion that our people will become climate refugees. And why I reject that is um, just the very connotation is, to me, unacceptable. And I think it's also trying to motivate our people not to become that. And, um, but as a government, we've taken on the responsibility to ensure that that's, that, that does not happen. So we are embarking on programs. We believe that part of the adaptation program 
for our people should be training. And so the international community must support us in that effort. So moving is really just a very last resort. You'd much rather people can stay for generations absolutely, to come. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. The um, moving is, I know some of my colleagues say, no, we'll never move, but how can you not move when the water is at? Uh, we don't want to be saying we will not move and then find that we don't get the resources and panic into uh, uh, reactions that are not good for our people. So the best thing is prepare for the possibility, for the 5% possibility, 1% possibility, prepare for it. Could you describe the climate change impacts that people in Kiribati are already experiencing now? Okay, we, uh, over the years we've seen things happen and um, we tried to, to build seawalls but to no avail, the, the communities have had to leave. What's happening more recently, because what we see is an acceleration of the process in a very short period of time. So communities um, that who have not already moved will have to move very short. We're getting complaints, and I've given up. I say there's nothing we can do. The, the salt water is coming into the, the waterlands and, uh, because they're not getting the rains that used to flush out the, the seawater in the past. And in some cases, the, the sea has broken into the freshwater pond, killed all the food crops, destroyed the waterlands. And I, I'm afraid that these people will have to leave within five years, I believe. Which would mean that your plans for actually building up the islands and almost building a structure that you can yes, well, move I, up to would have to happen within the next few years? I only talk about what I think should be built. I'm not the, I'm not the engineer, but that's... All I ask is something that will keep our people out of the water over the next few decades. You mentioned Cyclone Pam, that you know, so far Kiribati was not really getting cyclones no, regularly, we, we don't but get, you were starting we, we, to know? We never get cyclones. So that was the first cyclone. Is that, do you see it as part of a climate change impact, that the path well, of the, cyclones is I, changing? I'm always very careful about uh, being the science scientist, but what I am is... Uh, person living on the ground seeing what is happening. And so that's happened. It's a lot of impacts that are happening which we never witnessed. A lot of serious flooding. Uh, so people are getting quite scared now. And we need immediate solutions. This is why I really want to rush this solution so at least I, there would be a sense of comfort to our people. They can sleep when the, even when the, the, the tide is high, when there is a uh, tsunami warning when there is a storm search. At the In the Eye of the Storm meeting, climate change scientists, including James Renwick and Tim Naish, discussed how climate change will affect low-lying island nations in the Pacific. Broadly speaking, with changes in the climate, obviously warming, and the tropical Pacific is warming roughly at the global rate, and there's a big question around does the eastern Pacific warm faster than the western Pacific, so therefore do we get more El Nino events? That's, we still don't know the answer to that question. It's going to be really important. Um, but what we do know is that the rainfall extremes that you see with El Ninos and La Ninas are very likely to get larger than they are at the moment. So this idea of more moisture in the air, so when it rains, more rain, but longer dry spells in between. So droughts and floods both become more intense. Um, so that's, that's one thing, that rainfall variability from El Nino and so on likely to get larger. But one of the main features of the climate that brings 
precipitation brings water to the southwest Pacific is the South Pacific Convergence Zone, which is a line of storms essentially that lies from roughly Papua New Guinea down towards the southeast, um, south of Samoa, and out into the central Pacific. And that feels El Ninos and La Ninas, and there's uh, an indication that it may on average move a bit towards the north of where it normally sits now. And when there are strong El Ninos, such as this year's one, such as the one in 1997 and so on, it can flip a long way out of its normal position and actually lie more east-west. And the rainfall can be removed from places like um, Vanuatu and Fiji and so on. So again, the chances of larger variability in rainfall because of larger swings in the South Pacific Convergence Zone and the risk of drought in the southwest and possibly more rain and floods in the northeast is, is very real. So, so what we're seeing in Papua New Guinea this year, the drought, the extended drought, could be a hint of what's to come? Yes, I mean that's an El Nino related feature, but that sort of thing happening and just becoming more uh, intense, uh, more prolonged as time goes on. And then you've got the background warming, which because in the tropics climate variability is relatively small, you know, a place like New Zealand, the weather and the climate goes up and down all the time, that doesn't actually happen much in the tropics. So you, you need relatively less of a change in temperature to push the extremes further. So the chances of getting very high temperature extremes actually go up the quickest in the tropics. Very high, relatively very high temperature extremes, we're likely to see those a lot more in the tropical Pacific as time goes on, and that will have implications for agriculture and um, sort of human health and so on. What about cyclones? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and it's complicated. Cyclones form over water that is at least 26.5 degrees C, so as that region of warm water expands because everything's warming up, you might expect to see more cyclones. Uh, the catch, though, is that Cyclones need a very particular structure in the atmosphere. They, the winds have to be varying smoothly and, and actually not varying too much at all in the vertical. There's, there's a number of conditions you need to meet, and all the indications from the models are that actually the number of cyclones in total is likely to decrease. We should see fewer cyclones in future, but when you get one, the likelihood is it'll be a very strong one, so Category 5 or Category 4, the, the highest intensity categories so a bit of a mixed message we may see less cyclones overall but when one forms it's much more likely to deepen rapidly and become a very intense storm so the the risk associated with a given cyclone in future once it's formed will probably be higher. For some nations in the Pacific I'd imagine the most immediate issue they have to deal with is sea level rise. Sea levels globally have risen on the order of 20 centimetres already in the last century. And we know from coastal studies that a 10 centimetre rise in sea level roughly triples the risk of a given coastal inundation event. So 20 centimetres, you've got triple, triple nine times already the risk of a given uh, inundation event. So we don't need much more sea level rise before there are big problems. When there's a storm, it doesn't have to be a tropical cyclone, just a general... Um, tropical storm, you could get inundation, um, er coastal erosion much more easily than you would have got uh, without that, say, 30 centimetre sea level rise. So it's, it's happening right now, it's been happening for a century and more, and it, it's only going to get worse. So yeah, it's something that needs to be dealt with immediately. James makes a very good point about the um, 
affect sea level rise has on the frequency of coastal inundation. Um, so 50 centimetres of sea level rise, which is really at the lower end of what we're expecting by the year 2100, will mean in many places the 1 in 100 year coastal flooding event becomes an annual event. So for the low-lying Pacific Islands, you know, this is a, a huge risk um, as a consequence of climate change. So as James says, sea level's been rising and it continues to rise and it will rise to the end of the century and beyond. We know that by 2050 we're going to get 20 to 30 centimetres of sea level rise. That's pretty much built in. Can't change that. Where we have more influence is what happens in the second half of the 21st century and that ranges from 50 centimetres to a metre based on the latest IPCC report. So that essentially spans the low emission scenario or a higher emission scenario with very little mitigation. Now to limit sea level to less than 50 centimetres of sea level rise is now looking very challenging, mainly because to do that you have to limit global warming to below 2 degrees. And of course that's the aim, the ambition of the Paris Agreement. In fact the ambition is to go even lower, to, to 1.5 degrees. One of the problems we have with estimating sea level rise, and that affects everyone, not just Pacific Island nations, is that um, the upper bound is fairly poorly constrained. And the reason for that is we don't fully understand how the polar ice sheets are going to respond. And since the IPCC report, there's been a number of studies using computer models that are giving us the impression, the picture, that the IPCC estimate of the contribution of Antarctic melt to sea level rise is too low and it will increase with time. So some of the latest papers coming out in Nature and Science and some of the leading journals are suggesting that an upper bound for sea level rise when you add in the Antarctic contribution that we now understand is perhaps getting up towards 1.5 metres. So that's not good news, and this just increases the urgency of the situation. That was Tim Naish, the director of Victoria University of Wellington's Antarctic Research Centre. And before that, you heard from climate scientist James Renwick, also at Victoria University. Kiribati President Anote Tong has launched a fundraising campaign to help his people to raise their island home. And you can find out more about this on our webpage at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 